Hi. I'm assuming all those shoes were for me. That's right. Okay, perfect. Um, my name is Kevin Mills. I'm the uh, CEO of Audio Chuck, and I've had the um, pleasure of working very closely with Ashley Flowers over the last couple of years, and I'm just honored to be on stage with both Ashley and Oren, and um, really excited about what's, what's to come over the next hour. Before we start, two things. Um, if you're going to your South by Southwest app, hit engage, send whatever questions you have as we go through, and um, I promise we'll get to them uh, before the end of the show. And then second thing, post uh, this event, there'll be a book signing at the South by Southwest bookstore, which I believe is on the third floor. So uh, please come join us after that. So let's dive in. For what book? Oh, it's, it's for Ashley's. <laughs> I guess. No, In case people don't know. <laughs> it's a it's book, kind of good. Um, it's called All Good People Here. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yep. uh, New York Times number one bestseller by Ashley Flowers. <laughs> Honestly, truly an incredible, incredible book. So let's dive in. I'm going to start off with introductions. Will you? Please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Ashley Flowers. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm the founder of Audio Chuck, and I am the creator and host of a number of shows on the network, the biggest being Crime Junkie. Um, I also do other show called, thank you, uh, another show called The Deck, and we just launched um, actually a new show that I host called The Deck Investigates. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place, and now a, a New York Times bestselling author, and I still am the chief creative officer now for Audio Chuck. Tough act to follow. Um, I'm Oren Rosenbaum. I'm a partner and head of audio at UTA, and, uh, and I get to work with the incredible Ashley Flowers and, uh, and Kevin in helping to, you know, set strategies and, and execute on deals and really just, you know, in awe of the amazing work that they've done to, to accelerate the industry that we're working in. Thank you both. So I, what we're going to do, I st I've seen some questions starting to appear. Please keep sending um, your questions. Um, we're going to break this talk into three sections. We're going to talk about what was inspiration. What, where did this all start? How has Ashley kind of uh, seen, it kind of taken storytelling, taken uh, true crime storytelling and made it her own, and then what's to come? So that's how we're going to kind of segment the, um, in the next hour or so. So let's dive in. What was... I thought you just wanted me to let go. I was like, okay. No, 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 no not yet. What was the inspiration? What got you started? Mm. So for me, I, I tell people all the time, I actually, my co-host on Crime Drinky, Brit, she was like a true OG podcast listener. And for years, she was trying to get me to listen to a podcast. And I was like, no, that sounds awful. No, thank you. Um, and then, of course, in 2014, Serial came out. And she's like, listen, if you're going to try anything, like this is so up your alley. I had a long trip. I was in medical sales then. I was going to be driving for like eight hours. And I binged the whole thing. And I fell in love not only with, with the story and the work that the serial team did, but with the medium itself. 
Um, I, before that, was listening to audiobooks, so I don't know why I was so opposed to podcasts. But I, it was just so intimate, and then I discovered more and more, and there was just so many different types of stories and different types of voices that I felt so connected to that I, again, truly fell in love with the medium itself. And then I had, obviously, this passion for true crime that has just always existed. So I was consuming everything and anything I could, the good, the bad, everything in between. And there was a show that I just kept waiting for someone to make. I'm like, oh my gosh, surely, like any day now, they're going to make this specific show. And it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening. And there were all these other things popping up. And in the meantime, I was also doing a lot of work with my local Crime Stoppers. I was on their board of directors. I was trying to get a younger audience to know what the program was. And everything at one point just kind of came together. And I was like, well, what if I talk about Crime Stoppers and then I, I create the show that, that I'm waiting for someone to create, maybe I can do it. Like, again, I've been studying podcasting for years. I, just as a consumer, maybe I could try it. And if you listen to, like, the very early episodes, there's still, like, some baked-in ads for Crime Stoppers that I, like, did in my living room with my husband. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it really started, again, a passion for the medium, a passion for the topic, and this desire to give back. I was a true crime consumer forever, and it, the reason I got involved with Crime Stoppers was because I was trying to give back to the community I was taking from, and then I wanted this endeavor to do the same. Aaron, tell us how you got involved, please, again, from the beginning. Yeah, um, so I, you know, I'll talk about how I got into the world of podcasting audio, and then my relationship with Ashley early on, um, but I was, I was at UTA, and my, my mandate was overseeing emerging platforms, which at that time meant everything from, and this, this group will know, like the buzzwords of VR, AR, all the you know, new apps that were launching like Musical.ly and Wattpad and figuring out how to create where entertainment and tech aligned a strategy. And, uh, and that moment for me, I was doing some podcast stuff, but that moment for me was also serial, where I was listening to this thing and I realized this is just an incredible piece of content. It didn't matter if it was a podcast or a book or it was just, it was as good as anything I was reading or seeing or watching. And then the second thing I realized was there was just this community that was built around it. And in my little bubble was the only thing I wanted to talk about was serial and who did it and, and what was going on. And that was for the, you know, for, for many weeks. And then the final piece for me was I couldn't fucking get MailChimp out of my head because it was the only advertiser. I'm like, all right, well, somebody's getting paid something, <laughs> so let me figure that piece out. Um, and that was sort of like my moment where I said, I went to our CEO and I said, I'm going to drop all the other things I'm doing and really double down on podcasts. And he thought I was crazy, but allowed me to do it. And, uh, and, and soon after that, I listened to my first episode of Crime Junkie. I reached out before the episode was even done and after that, I was on a plane, and, and that was sort of it. One of the questions that um, is, always, is always interesting to me to ask, how do you define podcasting? Mm. What's a podcast? Uh, to me, a podcast is a piece of audio where there's a component of audio that is made available wide, to a number of audiences. I, to me, there's a little bit of a difference. There's so many exclusives now. And to me, I, 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 I kind of think of that as a show, 
podcasting originated when you're talking about an RSS feed that can distribute to all these different platforms, and that's still what I, I consider a podcast. And then I think there's now a, a branch of other types of yep. content. Yep. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's, it's an evolving term, um, and it's just, you know, it's broadened out what, what buckets into a podcast. But I think, again, if you oversimplify, I agree with Ashley, it is a, it is a kind of content distributed in a very specific way, you know? And I think you can add video to it, and that's great. And it's, there's a, you know, it's a vodcast or it's a version of a podcast, but I agree. It's audio distributed wide on an RSS feed to me is what podcasting is at its core. Great. So let's move on to true crime. And yes. <laughs> Tell me why true crime, why you've never veered from true crime and why it's so close to you. It's just what I'm most passionate about. Um, and we, we have veered a little bit, right? Like, I've got one fiction show. I'm interested in other things. I am a well-rounded person. Uh, but I am just truly so passionate about this genre. And I tell people, podcast aside, I was doing this stuff before I had a podcast. I was doing all the research, and I was telling my friends these stories. Now there's just more people that listen. And so... For me, it's, I just have this genuine interest, and I think that so much of the success of the shows and the company comes from that. It, we didn't get into podcasting because it was cool and new. We didn't get into true crime because it was having a moment. It all is so authentic and genuine. And I really developed a passion, I think. you know, It was always an interest of mine, and obviously I was giving back. I was working with Crime Stoppers, but as I've been in it longer and longer and longer, I like, am just doubling down into the genre rather than you know, spreading my wings and going into other places because like, there, I've just found so much that needs to be done and can be done, and so much good that we can do by being that voice in true crime. It's a great question that, that's come up, which is, when did you know, when did you realize that um, true, crime punk, true crime podcasting was more than just podcasting? When, when did you realize that it was having an, this special impact on people's lives? Well, I mean, I, again, I think I went into it with the idea that it's, it had to be more than storytelling or... I wasn't doing it right and I didn't know, I, I didn't want to just tell stories. If I wasn't supporting a cause or a nonprofit, I didn't want to be in it. So I went into it with that intention. And then I think that honestly, from the very first episode, I got this beautiful reminder because our very first episode was on a woman named Nikki McCowan from Indiana who went missing. And I didn't have a following. I wasn't anybody in 2017 when I released the episode. And the day that we released the episode, her daughter reached out to me and was like, I heard the episode. Thank you for talking about my mom. I would love to like do a follow-up. And it was just such a reminder of what I was doing and that these stories are real and the people behind them are real. And it was, again, even in the early days, just a, a reminder that we're going to impact the people who lived this and hopefully support them and help them. And then, you know, fast forward another year, we were doing a fundraiser off of an episode that went on to give two does their name back. And so I think like we've had moments like that where, you know, sometimes it's a little less tangible. It's an email from a listener that says that just being there, us being there and talking to them got them through something really rough. And sometimes it's super like a hard fact I can point to and to say we solved that case. 
Beautiful. I just want to add quickly, I think one of, the, one of Ashley's strengths that I saw very early on when we started working together is her approach to things. Meaning, you know, from day one, it was always, okay, I have to make sure that Crime Junkie, which was the focus, is the best possible product that it could be from a content standpoint. It's also, I'm building a community. It was always like I'm building something that is bigger than just one thing. And that was her mentality across every phase of building AudioChuck. And because, you know, in the beginning, you know, Ashley and I were always talking about ideas and there's nothing she couldn't do. There's nothing that I, I didn't believe there was anything that would block her from, if she wanted to write a book, she would have a New York Times bestseller. If she wanted to launch a network, she could launch a network. But she was so disciplined and focused on on doing the right thing at the right time and perfectly. Started with the product, then it was the community. And then I think the other thing, and it goes back to the, your question about focusing on true crime. If you look at the world of audio, and there wasn't really a blueprint for this. It was just you know innate to her. From a network effect, from a building a brand perspective, the reason why you have so much success is because you know your audience and you're intentionally programming for that audience. And you're not staying in one particular lane, you're widening it. But many people, I mean, I remember Gimlet in the early days, they had a moment where I would listen to anything Gimlet put out. And then they kind of really veered and they just did a bunch of different things that didn't work together, there was no effect. But you really stayed in this lane of true crime and true crime adjacent. And, and realize like, you could program and build a brand through that. And I think that's, that's a huge strength, not a why are you only doing true crime? You know what I mean? And I think it's really special that many companies to this day have not figured out how to do. Wonderful. Um, so you've managed to take Crime Junkie to, for it to become a network and now moving on and creating a media company. Um, so you're really kind of taking this in your direction, making this yours. What does that mean to you? Well, I mean, for me, I, it's not because like, oh, I've got to do this to prove something or this is what everyone's doing or, you know, these opportunities came to you. For me, it's always been deepening my relationship with the audience and oh, I've said it from day one like I am my consumer and what I realized is I am not just consuming podcasts like I want books and I want tv and I want film and I, I want it all in the true crime genre I, I am a true crime junkie which just doesn't mean podcasts and so what I, you know, you know the, to Oren's point, it was, okay, I'm going to make the best true crime podcast, and then I'm going to make more of, uh, of a network where that has other true crime offerings to, to give them even more of what they're asking for. And this step now into publishing, into TV and film is, is more of that. I really understand, I believe, what my audience is looking for, and I really believe that I can give that to them, not just in podcasting, because we're not just podcasters, like good podcasters are just good storytellers and you can tell a good story in so many mediums that I, I really want to be able to give that to them. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's amazing. Again, it's one of these things I, that every now and then I'm reminded of, but you look at the world of Hollywood and Hollywood is built on being a walled garden, 
right? If you want to be a television writer, well, you have to write a spec and then find an agent and break. It's just impossible, you know? And then you have this medium with low barrier to entry, which is amazing because anyone could dive in, but at the same time, everyone can dive in. And you have this person here who is so unbelievably, in the best possible way, motivated and competitive and just wants the best, not only for herself and the people that work with her, but just the, the, the community, the fans. And to break through and, and then make decisions like, I'm gonna stay in Indiana and build a media empire from there. And I'm gonna, you know, all the precedents that Hollywood has set in that framework, like, fuck, it doesn't apply to me, like, we're gonna be fine. You know, and I love that, and I love that mentality, and to be able to do that at the highest possible level, and everyone's like, in awe, and like, how do we do that? We can't do it. You know, that's pretty amazing. Um, so again, I think, the, and I'll shut up, because we're here for her, but the, the, it's very true when she said, like, I'm passing up on opportunities because it's not the right time, and when it is the right time, it's, it's how to do it correctly. So. It was always about Crime Junkie not launching many different shows until it was, and now they go to number one. It's not about going into the world of publishing until it was the right time, New York Times bestseller. Same thing applies for television, and you know, we, we a month ago came to Austin for a live show, which was amazing, and sold that out, and it's just amazing to see the people who show up for that, and then the actual production of that live show, if, if any of you saw it, what I mean, it was the best, I'm not singling out to a podcast live show, but for being a podcast that you're bringing live, it was the best ever of all time. You know, it, it really was. And I think everyone walked out of that experience saying that was an incredible two hours of my life. I couldn't be more grateful to have spent that with Ashley. And that's what she brings to the table every time. Tell us a little more about that because now the podcast has been released. Mm, the, li the live show? Elisha. You, the story or, or? Yeah. Why yeah. was it so important to you to tell that? Why was it so important to you to tell that story? It was honestly something I kind of fell into, which again goes back to like, I'm, I'm not out there looking like, okay, I have to make five shows, new shows this year. It's, I find the stories and sometimes they find me that I just feel like are so important. I was just at the, um, Times Women of the Year event a couple of days ago, and Kate Blanchett said something really beautiful. She said, the best storytellers are really just the best listeners, and they're listening to the stories that no one are telling. And this story that I fell into was one that, even though it happened in my, my home state, it was one of the most tragic stories I had ever heard of a mother who was taken from her own home in front of her three girls and was found murdered the next day. And the case that has gone unsolved for nearly 40 years. And we ended up really connecting with her daughters and finding that there was so much that could be done and that they're literally just sitting on some very tangible evidence and they literally have a DNA profile, but they're just not testing anyone against it, even though there's some very viable suspects. And so it, to me, it wasn't, again, about making a show. It was about how do I tell the world this story? Because I have three daughters who feel like they're screaming into a void and nobody's listening and nobody's caring. But I know I have access to a group of people, an audience around the world that can be really loud. And often that's how you get things done is you have to be really loud. And so that was the motivation behind this is, is, is just making sure everyone heard Darlene Hulse's story. So the, um, 
the thing that I've been most impressed with, because I get to work with you every day, is I think what's been said here, how intentional. So there's some of the questions that are coming up that have to do with starting new podcasts and um, uh, what's the advice that you would give? What's the advice that you would give to someone that's interested in starting a new podcast? It's really to find find your niche or find your voice, what's different. Um, I, I think where so many people go wrong is they look at something that's being done that's really successful and they just try and recreate it. And you'll never, you know, strike that twice. Like, they, let, let that be successful. Like, what is your perspective? What is your voice? What is the story that you have that, that no one else has? And that's what it was for me when I started Crime Junkie. Again, I was, I was looking for a specific format that just wasn't there. And so I would just encourage people to, you can do true crime. You can do an investigative true crime podcast. Tell the story that hasn't been told. Create a format that is different than everything else out there. Because to your point, I mean, there are, mil, what, four million podcasts now. Um, there's a lot of noise. And I think to cut through the noise, it's not a about being the biggest, but it is about creating that quality story um, and, and doing it in a unique way that makes you stand out. What would you add, Arne? Um, I, I think we, we said it in many different ways, but it's, it's podcasting is really hard, right? And it's one of these things where if, you, if you're doing it in the classical definition of a podcast that we decided on the stage of just audio, yeah. right, five minutes ago, um, you know, being able to, whether you're by yourself or with someone else, tell a story for, call it an hour, half an hour, every single week, and making it entertaining and informational or, or whatever it is, is very challenging. And you have to live and breathe it every single moment of every single day. You have to wake up thinking about it, go to sleep thinking about it, and not think about all the rest, right? So, I mean, we said there's six different ways of of how Ashley built the business, it's, it's just focusing on this one thing, perfecting it, and then realizing, okay, how do I continue to, to grow it? I have to build my community and engage with them. And then so on and so forth, it's like, okay, then what's show number two? All the way up until when do I bring on my Kevin Mills to help run the business and the day-to-day -day of operations? I mean, it's the, the patience on top of being able to be amazing at what you're doing. I mean, all of these things have to happen together, but it starts with what Ashley said of, what is that one thing that you wanna talk about and make sure that it's great and exciting for other people and just keep doing it? The thing that I would add to answer my own question is con the consistency is really important. Um, making sure you are being consistent, making sure you are producing on a consistent basis. Um, and the quality, perfecting yeah. that quality of, of production makes a big difference. I actually have a follow-up, which is at what point when you started Crime Junkie, did you realize like it was a thing? It was, this thing is working. And did you ever challenge with like, is it working, is it working fast enough, should I stop it? Yeah, I had no, I had no benchmark. Um, there were a couple of moments, I remember or just a couple of months in, I did like a local meetup and I had no idea if anyone was gonna come. Again, to me, maybe the, pod the podcast was super local in my mind and so I was like, okay, if we can get like 10 people to like show up and we were only three months in and I think like 70 people showed up to this bar and I was blown away. And then at our one year mark, we did a 
a New Year's Eve party at the same bar. <laughs> and um, we had people who flew in from like Georgia and California. Nobody flies to Indiana in the winter. And, it and, and I just like, I couldn't believe it. And that was also the same night then that Rolling Stone named us one of the top true crime podcasts. So it kind of was like this moment all at once at the one year mark, which was so meaningful for me because that was really what I'd given myself when I started. Um, I knew I couldn't burn the candle at both ends forever. To your point, it, I, it was such a grind. I mean, I was waking up it, like early in the morning and I'd work on the podcast. Then I would go to my full-time job. Then I would come home and I'd work on the podcast. And then I'd work on the podcast all Saturday, all Sunday. Luckily, my husband, he was getting his master's at the time. So he, he was busy and didn't miss me too much. But I knew I couldn't do that forever. And I gave myself one year. I said, this has to be my full-time job by one year or I can't do it. And it really was at that like one year mark where, where then you reached out like right before the Rolling Stone thing and everything really like came together. How have you balanced the production, the creation of a podcast and the business of the podcast? I don't know that I know. <laughs> like, like the, I don't know that there's like a formula. Um, it, it, it's why I worked so much early on is because really the business side of it was a full-time job, um, especially after that first year. I think what I, what I originally thought, the first year was so much of the creation, creating this community and creating this show. There wasn't a ton of business to be had other than marketing the show and making the content the best it could be. And I kind of had this idea like, oh, thank goodness when, when I quit my full-time job and make this my career, like I'm just gonna have one job, that's amazing. But it was at the time where it took off and I did not work any less. If anything, I worked even more because I had to create full-time and then I had to run the business full-time. And so I did that for a couple of years and that was the reason then where I, started bringing in a little bit more support and, and I, on the business operation side, on the fan engagement side, then on the content side. And then eventually, obviously like a year and a half, two years ago, knew that I, I still had such big dreams for the business, but I could only take it so far. I figured that in the time that it would take me to learn how to be the CEO of a media company, I would be doing a disservice to everyone who was working for me, which is when I had brought you on. And so now I feel like just, just now I'm getting back to doing more of like the content creation. But I would say it's it, people say a podcast like oh, when I meet people who like don't really understand what I do, they're like, so you just like like research all day and like like read things. And I'm like, no, like I like honestly now like content creation is is 40 percent of my job and it's still like 60 percent of back end business. I mean, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, again, instinctually, you always knew from the business standpoint what, where to lean in, where to, where to use your time and energy. And I think that, that's probably the most important part is how do you set the strategy, use your time so you, you're maximizing bandwidth, not taking away from the core product. I mean, it's very much like you're running a startup you're making the product, you're head of sales, you're head of marketing, you're establishing all of that. And then once you've established what it, what it is that you need, you've started to bring, you, you know, started bringing on people to execute on that strategy. Um, but again, I mean, it was very, I think the reason why you have a tough time saying, I don't know if I even know that if there's a formula, it's because it's very organic to you to know where to, you know, where to set resources and, 
and make decisions. I think you're very quick at making decisions, which that's tough for not just the world of entertainment or podcasting or just anyone. Making a decision, having that conviction is, that's, that's an, it's an amazing tool to have. One of the things that convinced me to leave LA two years ago and move to Indianapolis. Was that that, was that, that hard? <laughs> That's not that hard. It's kind of lovely. <laughs> it's just cold right now. <laughs> just a little chilly. Um, was your knowledge of the business from top to bottom through and, and uh, how to create, what the business was around it, what the decisions were, and so just witnessing how much you truly knew, how much you were truly in it was amazing and incredible. And so, um, so I, I really do want to celebrate you for that. Um, one last question before we go into what's to come. How do you balance everything? How do you balance life? Uh, if, you, if you don't know, Ashley has a little baby who's amazing. And um, so how do you balance being founder, creator, entrepreneur, philanthropist, mother, husband, I'm oh, sorry, wife. Um, so, excuse me. How do you balance, how do you balance all of that and keep everything well, not wet, not perfectly. Like I mess up all the time. And I, I mean, before I had my daughter, like my husband would tell you, there was no balance. I was, you know, it wasn't weird if I was at the office at 4.30 in the morning. It wasn't weird if I was coming home at eight o'clock at night, um, which again, just was not sustainable. And it, it, again, it, it, though it was a lot of work and sometimes I felt worn down, I, I never felt burnt out because I love it so much. And now having my daughter, again, a, a key for me was bringing on all of that support. There are things that we brought people on to do that I would love to still do, but I can't. Like if I, if I also want to be a good mom. And I, I think that I end up missing out on stuff on both ends. Like I'm, I haven't seen my daughter in four days and I miss her so much. And there are things that I wish I could do, events or press or opportunities, projects that I turn down because I, I know I can only do so much and be a good mom and I need to, and I want to be there for my daughter and I don't want to miss anything that she's doing. So it's, it's, a, it's a give and take. And I tell people, I, I, I don't want to bum them out when I say you can't have it all, but you can have everything. You're just going to have to give up pieces of it. Like I can't have 100% of my podcast life. I can't have 100% of my like stay-at-home mom life. And I just have to realize I'm going to miss things on both ends. Um, but it really, it, it was all about being really intentional about setting boundaries for myself once I had my daughter of I'm leaving at this time no matter what. And when she goes to bed, if I need to work, I'll work because I love it. And I'll lay in bed at night and scroll and re reply to fan messages because I love it. Um, but it's, it's something I'm still learning. I'm not, I'm not perfect at it. And I, I'll keep figuring it out. Amazing. Um, so... We're going to kind of flip into the third part of the conversation. What's to come? The future. What's here? And what, what are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to continuing to build out our core business, which will always be podcasting for me. Um, I think a lot of 
people as this industry has gotten bigger have been using it as like an IP farm. And it's like, I'm, I'm doing this to get to television. I'm doing this to get to something else. And for me, like podcasting is it. Like I, I want to create, if it never turns into anything else, I want to create the best podcast and the best experience because I love this medium so much. That being said, though, so much of what we create has gotten attention from other like mediums, other people, other companies. And so we really are at the place now where we've gotten the support, we've gotten the team to keep our core business going, and I never want our content there to suffer. We've gotten to a place where we now can branch out. And so creating these other verticals in publishing, in TV and film, um, other branches of podcasting that are, again, I want to stay in our core of true crime as audio check, but there are other genres to explore in like another branch of the company. Um, and so I think the future is big. The future is bright. I think it's so exciting. And it's happening really freaking fast, really fast. Yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, in terms of what, what I, when I think about Audio Chuck and Ashley and what you guys are building, um, it's an amazing time because there's this balance and blending, which I think is, I may walk this back later, but I really do believe that it's unique to the, the podcast industry to balance creator economy mixed with traditional Hollywood. And I think very few times, and I, there are very few examples of the ability to, if you wanted to, launch a podcast and then bring it to film and television, and at the same time, have a legitimate business around the podcast that you're launching, and then bring it to touring, or bring it to the world of book publishing, or how do we continue to double down on the innovation that's happening as we, as we debated here, not really debated, we all agreed, but like what is the definition of podcasts? Other people have different definitions of it and how do we also play ball in those areas I think is, is interesting. So you, know, you look at Spotify this past week talking about how they're doubling down on video for podcasting. What does that look like for AudioChuck? from a business standpoint, from a growth standpoint, from a programming standpoint. So I think you have the, the amazing thing that you guys have built is the ability to control your own destiny because you can just say, I'm gonna do the things that we can dictate and launch and do on our own, and at the same time play ball with, all right, let's do the TV thing even though it's a two-year development cycle or write a book even though it takes 18 months and then you're, you know. So I think it's, it's very unique to the world of, of audio and then you're doing it at the highest possible level and, and really being pioneers across any vertical that we're touching, so. Aaron, I wanna stay with you on, on that point. Um, it, it, trends as far as monetization is concerned. So we've talked about the different types of content and what's a podcast, what's audio, for example. What's happening on the monetization side that everyone should be aware of? Again, I think just to oversimplify, when I think about, like I think about, you know, a show like Crime Junkie or a talent like Ashley Flowers, like Disney thinks of any, you know, piece of IP or piece of content or, you know, whatever it is, and you're just, you just start with, okay, how do we, in a non-exploitative way, but in, in a, from a business strategy standpoint, take this thing and, and it's the hub, and then sort of extend different spokes that are monetization. So the most obvious and direct source today is advertising. What does that look like? Well, in the earliest days, it's baked in. 
as we sort of advance in our industry and accelerate it, it's dynamic, it's host read, and now we're introducing things that are pre-produced and custom, we're introducing things that are more, you know, general, like programmatic, what does that look like? I think, again, another example of Ashley being a pioneer is building this sort of subscription, I hate the word fan club, but it's, you know, you're building this experience, this premium experience, and people want to pay for it. They don't have to pay for it, they want to because they want more touch points, they want more content, they want more engagement. So that's another piece. And then you keep thinking about things and it, it tends to shift further and further away from the core product itself, derivatives and ancillaries and you know, so touring, publishing, television, merchandising. And then there's sort of like these more moonshot things of how do you extend this brand into the world of licensing or ventures. I think all of that is very much unique to the, you know, the new world of creator economy and media and building communities. And then just in terms of innovation that's happening, like I think when you started, there's no way when you started the podcast you thought, okay, video was gonna be a thing, right? So what does that look like? Is that something that people really want it, you know, if it doesn't, in fact, mean that people want to keep watching podcasts, what does that look like from a business standpoint? What are the opportunities? What are the threats? What does it look like from a business standpoint? I mean, all of those questions are unanswered because we don't know. All we know are a very small, select few shows do really well with video, and it's grown the pie. But again, what are the unintended consequences? We talked about this the other day. Do you start a YouTube channel? Do you not? Can you publish through this RSS feed that has massive audience and what does that look like from a business standpoint? How often? So there's so many questions that arise, but that's why it's so amazing. Every, I feel like every six months we're having a new conversation about something related to business, but it always stems, at least with AudioChuck, from the best possible experience for the consumer. And, and that, is, that has been such a core piece that conversations that we've had, which is, um, audio everything that we create is audio driven and it's for the audio experience as you think about the precious as we go forward you think about the visual components how do you think about incorporating visual components into crime junkie i, I just not sorry to interrupt, but you should talk about the live show because you the audio visual i think was and you know such a unique part of it well, and I, it kind of answers both questions. I, because so many people are like, oh, well, you don't need to do anything big. Just like slap a camera on while you're recording. People just want to see you. And I think, sure, there's probably a group of people that just want to see me, but that's not, that's not the experience that I want to give. I, I, I am super intentional about creating whatever I'm going to create for the platform, I'm creating it on. So the one thing I've said over and over, I'm not just putting our show on YouTube with like the Crime Junkie logo, it's a visual platform. Like I, I wanna, if I'm trying to reach a visual audience, it needs to be meaningful. And when we did the live show, uh, it was the same thing. So many people were like, you know, you know, the expectation for a podcast is that you sit up there in a chair and you've got notes and you read. And I'm like, but that's not what I want to give. If, I, if, if people are gonna come out, I want them to experience something that they could not experience in their homes. And so, there was a, an entire visual component. We, and I tell people it was like a podcast meets a documentary meets an investigative war room. There were like these sections of the show and we had 
documentary like film that we like put together so we would we would go to clips we had reports that were generated and came to life with voiceover actors um so again every everything I do and even if it doesn't like that tour did not make us money <laughs> even if it doesn't like it's about the engagement for me and it's about setting the standard for what what people can expect of me and I think that's what's so important is that it, when I write the book or when I go do the tour what I'm looking for is like, man, Ashley Flowers delivered. Like she didn't disappoint. And you have to go the extra mile and you have to be really thoughtful if, if that is the goal. If the goal is a quick buck, like there's a lot of easier ways to do it. And you can just put your content on YouTube. Um, but I think you make a quick buck and I don't think that's how you build this, this, this lasting brand. Or again, when I want to become the standard of, of podcasting true crime, you have to do it in a more thoughtful way. Brilliant. Thank you. We're starting to get some questions coming in and we're about to kind of go into answering some of those questions. So if, there's, if there are any questions bubbling, please go to the app and, uh, and send them in. So we'll start off with this one. Um, what's a, one of the surprising trends that you've seen in podcasting that you think um, talent or producers should avoid and why? Um, I mean, I think, and you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, I think one thing that from my perspective where I sit in the world of entertainment and balancing old Hollywood and the future is people who want to create a podcast for the purpose of going to TV. And I think that's still a trend, and, I, and I'm only calling it out because at any conference, podcast conference, there's always a panel on, you know, Podcast to television, like it's such a big thing. Everyone asks the same questions all the time and it tends to be the biggest, most populated room. And that to me is like, it defeats the whole purpose of the medium. And the, there's, you know, there's almost never intentionality behind that specific show if they're like, well, you know, we're gonna repurpose this script that never made it as a movie to become a podcast. Or this thing, you know, we pitch it out as a, as a TV idea, it didn't work, but maybe we should pitch it out as a podcast. I mean, those are things that we've seen and they, you know, they get made time and time again. Um, I think that's one trend. I think another trend is exactly what you just said a few minutes ago, which is YouTube is stepping into podcasts. I need to get my, my content on YouTube. Let's just upload the file and slap our logo on it. And that's one of the most, the most requested questions that I get from clients, colleagues, you know, is should we be doing that? Or what should we be doing on YouTube? And I think again, like the experience just, that sucks for the consumer. Why are you going to YouTube to look at a logo of, you know, of the podcast? What do you expect to gain out of that? Do you expect to have the biggest YouTube channel, a super successful YouTube channel? Like, what are you gaining from that? And I think that's very, it's very short-sighted. Um, I think those are the most sort of common trends that we're seeing are podcasting is not enough and and then also uh you know everything that's sort of happening with youtube um but yeah i mean i think again if you just go to the core it's it's having the intentionality behind any one of these decisions to make it a great experience for the person that you're making it for in the first place not selflessly or selfishly thinking how can i you know, monetize and exploit this thing. Do you, want to, you have anything you want to add? 
No. Trying He's the, he, you're, you're the industry <laughs> guy, man. This is, that was all you. <laughs> what are the true crime podcasts and true crime shows that you are listening to and watching right now? Oh, um, I just, I listened to Coldest Case in Laramie, um, which is Serial Productions. I just watched the documentary on Robert Wone, which is like a case that I'm obsessed with. That was on Peacock. Um, Why Can't We Talk About Amanda's Mom is one that I, it's a coming out week to week that I am following and loving. Uh, but I truly consume all of them. Like, if, if it is in my genre, if it is in podcasting, if it is in true crime documentary, like I, again, not only, I love it, and I don't know how I would stay on top of like what people like, what's interesting, what's happening, what's good, what's bad, what are they, like, I have to consume everything in order to be, I feel like, relevant, um, but I enjoy it so much, so it's such a great part of my job. Um, I, for me, it's hard to, uh, I think when it, when it comes to the world of true crime, um, there, there are things that I want, which is very much like topical, what's happening right now. So like Murdaugh was, you know, kind of this omnipresent case. And so I have like this, uh, affinity to just listen to what's happening almost in real time. Um, so I have like, I tend to gravitate towards that. I also, I love the world of like nonviolent true crime also. Um, just because it's like, it's fascinating to see these characters are just, they're also larger than life in just such a different way. And many people don't think of them as, you know, think of those stories as true crime in, in the, again, traditional way. But I, I tend to really like to hear those how you got, how did someone raise this amount of money? Or how did this thing happen with no one realizing what was going on? And those are very fascinating to me. Um, and then of course, Deck Investigates, have to listen to that, binge drop. Um, yeah. But yeah. Great. Along those lines, are there any true crime stories that may be, they were unsolved, but they, they're still they're stuck with you? All of them. Um, Again, I just mentioned Robert Wohn was one of them. I have one superpower, I think, in my life, and it is that I can I can recall cases and details and names, and not like if I meet someone on the street, names gone immediately, but like if if there's a name in a case, it is there forever. Um, and so we are really super. I don't know. I, I remember everything. I'm I'm constantly like looking up to see if there's follow up. We have any family member that we've worked with. We actually have like a system within our team that we follow up with them like on certain cadences to see if they need any additional support or if there's anything else we can do. So it like I don't look at these as like oh this one time I heard about a case and I never think about it again. Like there's part of it that like always just like lives in me. How do you decide which cases you actually take on and address either for Crime Junkie or The Deck or The Deck Investigates? And um, which cases grab you the most and why? Well, I mean, we, I think it all comes down to the, the simplest explanation is what's the why behind it? Why are we telling this story? Um, was it to highlight 
and injustice? Is it that there's a call to action? Are there funds that need to be raised, a nonprofit that needs to be supported? Uh, why are we telling the story? I think that's what it starts with. And then if, if there's a good reason why we're telling it or why the world should hear it, then it goes into, well, what, do we have the resources we need to do it? Do we have access to the right information, the right people to put a compelling story together? And there's a ton of vetting that goes into that, but that's, that's really what it comes down to. Why are we telling this, and are, do we have the information to tell it well? I have a question for our moderator here. Um, I think for someone who, and, and not, this is not meant to be uh, pejorative at all, but for the, the most outsider to the audio industry and, and entertainment, what is your perspective on what's happening, what's going to happen, um, specifically to podcasts, but also just the business around it, and again, directionally where it's going, US, ex-US, whatever? Uh, for me, it's, um, it has always been from the, from day one, I've asked the question, what is a podcast? What is audio? Where are we in the ecosystem of that? Where are we and where do we want to be? And where's, where's everyone else going and why? But the thing that I absolutely enjoy working with both of you is that wherever everyone else is going both of you are like we're not going there <laughs> we're heading in a different direction and so to stay on the cutting edge of everything and to we're constantly being that place where we're carving a new path forward that's part of what's most exciting for me the piece that i love um in what we're doing is that I'm responsible for kind of creating, helping to create the structures and, and, but listening to your ideas and the things that you want to do and where you want to move the company and where your vision for where the industry's going. And so for me, that makes my life so easy because then it's just like, okay, what do I need to do to help put the infrastructure in place that can help us as a company get there and, and be sustainable, get there in a sustainable way? So it's really, a really such a strong vision to stay ahead of where the industry is. And, and, and there's just this curiosity. There's a curiosity that you have that I, that um, constantly asking questions of um, me, of us, and, um, and those questions are always like spot on for me. They send me off into, into new places, which is really healthy. But there is, a, there is a very clear vision around what we're doing and why. And that helps a lot. And this is for both of you guys, but when you think about growth, not just growth for the purpose of growth, but things like, okay, podcasting is becoming more and more global every single day. How do you think about whether it's Crime Junkie as a format and a brand or the actual you know, content itself, how do you think about extending that into you know, non-English speaking countries or even you know, just other formats um, 
I mean, the same way I think about the visual stuff is we've got to do it so thoughtfully. And we've, we've been approached so many times of like, oh, we'll just translate Crime Junkie into Spanish. And I'm like, well, part of, part of the magic is like the dynamic. It's me and my best friend. Like, I don't know how you necessarily recreate that. But, I, but there's so much like culturally that, that goes into the way we talk about our justice system. And I mean, we, we've, we'll even talk about stuff in Canada or like other English speaking countries. And people will be like, That's, well, I, I think you didn't quite understand it because you're from the US and so to again to do it well it's something I would love to do is to branch out as podcasting becomes bigger and bigger but to do it well requires so much planning on the front end that we are doing but does not happen overnight in order to do it well because again I don't want to just create crime junkie in Spanish if we're gonna go into another market I want to create a great podcast in another market it it's the it is that cultural translation, not just a language translation, and and making sure that that is done right, so it, it truly is localized. Um, without that, I, I think it it'll fail. Um, but I'm really excited to see these different markets that are popping up and growing around the world. Um, in podcasting, and they, the way podcasting, I think, is being used and consumed in different ways than here in the U.S., and I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do um, internationally, but it, it's going to take a minute to get it figured out. So I don't mean to take over. I don't I didn't mean to take over the moderation part, um, but you did a show a couple years ago for Spotify called Very Presidential. And I think it, it, it might be the only non, like, true crime, true crime adjacent show that you hosted. I mean, did you listen? There was a lot of crime. <laughs> there was a lot of crime. But I don't bucket it into the, <laughs> the true crime world. Why that subject matter? Why that world? What is that something that we can expect more of from you? Or is that just creatively you're like I wanted to try something a little bit different uh, it's it was a passion project it's how I so I've got another podcast called full body chills that are like short fiction horror stories um because they're just like it, it's like very twilight zone-esque and because there are things that I love that are outside of true crime and when I think that I can every once in a while again experiment in other places um it's not where I want to spend all of my time and energy and resources but when I really find something interesting and in the timing was important too like we were coming up on a presidential election I had this idea and it was the right time for it and Spotify was footing the bill so right. Why not? it was easy to experiment <laughs> wonderful so as we begin to kind of wind down I have a question can I ask questions now or no do you uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I'm>... <laughs> um, what piece of advice from your years in podcasting, your years in true crime, what's the, the thing that you have learned the most that you'd like to share with our audience? About podcasting or about about podcasting okay about true crime podcasting about true crime podcasting um i mean there's definitely a shift that's happening and i i believe i mean we're part of making that shift happen that there like the days of true crime comedy i think are few and far between um i think someone going in needs to look at the landscape there are victims and their families are realizing that they have a voice and are becoming involved 
in the community, in the process. And I think that to do a show meaningfully and including them in your process is gonna be really crucial going forward. Um, so that's specific to true crime podcasting. To podcasting in general, the same advice I give everyone all the time is like, I don't, stop waiting. Um, yes, you want the audio to be great and you want the content to be great and you want everything to be perfect, but it'll also never be perfect. I can't even imagine going back and listening to my first episode. Like it makes you want to die thinking about it. At some point you have to do it because it's getting harder and harder to get in. Again, what is, what is so beautiful is anyone can do it. Like no one controls the charts right now, but getting noticed is going to be getting harder and harder and harder. And the community is turning into kind of how television did, where there are these larger companies who are kind of gobbling up these smaller ones. And then it's turning into, you've got to be part of one of these larger ones to get noticed, to get attention. And so if, if someone is thinking about it, the longer you wait, the harder and harder it's going to be for your show to get noticed. Thank you. Do you have advice that you'd want to give to everyone? Yeah, you're like the guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> advice for, for podcasters? Um, I think, look, it, it's a different world than it was when I first started in this industry. I mean, you look at some of the companies that have popped up their ability to to create noise in the space was really because they're they're you know they they weren't really competing with anyone in that specific category or they were they were able to lean in with specific platforms in a very meaningful way to get that reach and audience. So I think now again, and Ashley just said it like it's never going to be perfect, but you want to make sure it's great. You want to put in that effort in the beginning and do whatever you can to make something that other people are gonna to wanna to listen to. Right? That's, I think that's the number one thing. Um, and you have to kind of experiment. So I would say experiment with length of content. Experiment with how and where you market your show. I mean, again, when Ashley started, there was no TikTok. You know, it was that back in the day um, where that didn't exist. But you know, I, I thought about this the other day, like I think 80% of TikTok for me on my feed is clips of podcasts at this point. You know, and I think that's something that you have to just pay attention to. How are you discovering podcasts? Where you have to do the whole collaborate and cross promote and find people that are similar audiences. But, but again, and Ashley said this, you know, perfectly, if you're just copying someone else exactly the way they're doing it, you're gonna have a really tough road ahead of you. But you can get inspired by one or several shows and do something that you're really excited about and then the last thing is from a, you know, because there's a question here about, you know, how to, what's the advice for non-true crime, which is a great question. If you're going to be in a hyper niche category, you got to expect that your show is not going to reach millions of people. You have to be okay with that, but you can still have a great show. You can still build a great community. You can still monetize really well, but you have to, you have to know going into it, what is it that you want? Who's your audience? And, and just pay attention to the things that are working in the space. I like what you said about experimenting because that's something that we've done a lot of. Um, I mean, like I, I think Counterclock was one of the first shows that we did like a binge drop. Everyone was going week to week because they said that was the only way you could monetize. But everyone also said like when you have a limited series, listenership just drops off. So we tried, we tried that. We were one of the first companies to do that and then Serial Productions did it and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, and so, and even the, the episode lengths, like, 
Crime Junkie is 40 minutes. Deck Investigates that we just released, those are like 17, 20-minute episodes. And some people were like, oh, the episode, like, why would you make shorter episodes? Just make them one. And it, again, was very intentional for the story and knowing people might have to go back for information and giving them basically a one takeaway from every episode. Um, so even the formatting, again, don't make a show 30 minutes just because everyone else is making it 30 minutes. What, is you, what serves your content the best? We're about to get the red light, which means get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> we bloop that. So I think that's it. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>